Welcome to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by Silver Screen and Roll and SB Nation Lakers community. You can find us over at silverscreenandroll.com or on social at LakersSBN. I'm Christian. He's Grant Goldberg. Grant, what's up today, buddy? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, I'm, I'm trying to summon all the energy that I can to, to bring a better effort than the Lakers did in Denver last night. Yeah, so, that was, uh, I have I no idea. I have no idea what that was. Well, um, well yeah, I, I was th- gonna say it's a low bar. It's a low bar. <laughs> so if I, if I yeah, keep it, you know, a little perky throughout the show, I think I'll be in good shape. This, I think the worst thing to me about that game was the fact that they were coming off of a game they should have won. Uh, not only because I think they're a more talented team than the Orlando Magic, but you figured they would have played a little more inspired after uh, you know the game they put up against the Magic earlier this season. So that was disappointing, and I was like, okay, well, there's no way they're going to put up back-to-back stinkers. Uh, but they absolutely did. Uh, they lost 117-85, to and I, I, it was so hard to find any positive about that game. Not just in general, but on the box score, because nobody on the Lakers finished with a positive box plus minus, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the first time that's happened all season. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, everybody on Denver finished with a bo- positive box plus minus. So it was an all-around mess. Uh, what what did you take away from that game, if anything, Grant? Well, I mean, it was just it was disappointing to see uh, you go into the game, you know, winning, you know, what was it? You know, eight of your last nine or yeah. or eight of your last ten, sorry. And you go into Denver, obviously they're a good team and I and I tried to uh to relay that info on the last show that, you know, this is a team that is gonna play tough, especially in their own building and you know, it's not a game that they can afford to come in and, and be sluggish and careless with the ball. And you, you didn't really see any any one player on the Lakers put forward that great of an effort. Now, it's you know easy for me to say, you know, sitting in my room right now just talking mm-hmm. about the game. But, yeah. you know, as, as a fan, you, you would like to see a better effort. And, um, you know, I, I think we deserve to be critical of the team because, you know, that's the biggest thing that I took away. Uh, just overall carelessness with the ball, um, Denver just getting out and and looking more prepared than the Lakers did, and so you know as a result, yeah, like you said, nobody had a positive blocks plus minus on the Lakers, and it was the opposite for the Denver Nuggets, and um, yeah. this is a trend that can't continue against the top teams in the West if the Lakers are true playoff contenders. For for the preview of the game, uh, I wrote at silverscreenandroll dot com. Um, I talked about, you know, if if the Lakers had a plan for the the Nuggets bigs because the Lakers kind of temporarily fixed their center problems when they brought in Tyson Chandler. He did a lot of things really well to begin with, and he's still doing those things. Um, But we're getting, we're, we're seeing teams now that have bigs that can space the floor and Orlando was a really good example of the problems the Lakers are going to have uh, 
uh, with with bigs like uh, Nikola Vucevic and uh, Denver's Nikola Jokic. They just really struggle with guys like that. And I understand that there are very few seven footers that can keep up with, uh, you know, other seven footers that uh, seven footers that can space the floor like that. But when you the the ideal scenario is that you have a small ball center or you know uh, just a, a defensive big in general that can at least stay in front of uh, a big that can space the floor and make hard on them, make life hard on them. And the Lakers don't have that guy, and I think that's been the biggest problem, other than you know defensive effort, whatever. That's probably been uh, their Achilles heel in the past two games, and there's no immediate solution for it on the roster other than maybe LeBron James playing center. But as Lakers fans have quickly found out, um, you know, early in in his Lakers career, is that LeBron is no defensive stalwart. Uh, so it's it's. It's tough, man. I, I have no idea what they're going to do in that regard. You know what? I have a two-word solution for all these oh, problems. Oh, wait. <laughs> I think I know what it is. It's Mo Wagner. Um, yeah. You know, clearly, <laughs> now, obviously, you know, it's unfair of us to put that kind of expectation on Wagner, but yeah. that's what the Lakers drafted him to be, kind of a fluid option between the the five and the four. And you know ability to defend in space with his you know effort, and you no know, that's his scouting report coming out of Michigan at least on the defensive end that you no know, you no know, maybe he lacks a little bit in athletic ability but he makes up for that in you know how hard he tries defensively we saw that in yeah. summer league and um, you no know, it sucks that he's been hurt all year hasn't really gotten any meaningful playing time but um, you know for as much as it's made defending these uh floor spacing fives he can be that for the lakers you know if he saw the floor now obviously you know i don't think luke walton wants to really toy with the center rotation right now at least offensively because mm-hmm. javel and, and tyson chandler are such seamless fits but yeah. you know it's just an added dimension especially with the way that they're shooting the three this year you know why not try it you know see what you have in mo wagner and at least get him prepared to play some some minutes, at least you know going forward, just to see mm-hmm. what you have in him. I I mean you can play him in South Bay, but you know that's against a clear drop in competition, and so I I'm not sure what the plan is for Mo Wagner going forward, but I'd at least like to see him play, not in garbage time, but just you know get him out there for 10, 15 minutes and see what he has to offer for this team. Yeah, and I think the the most interesting thing Mo Wagner brings, other than you know, his shooting and defensive effort is that he's kind of an underrated defender in space. So even if he lacks the length to to contest, you know, uh, guys like Jokic and Vucevic on the outside, um, the biggest problem the Lakers have had hasn't been the fact that they're letting them make shots. I mean, they are, but the, the, the toughest thing was when they do pick them up from behind the arc, um, that the bigs are just able to blow by them and get wherever they want. And we've seen that in the past two games with Jokic and Vucevic. And uh, that's, that's an even bigger problem than leaving them wide open because of the two Vucevic is uh, the better three point shooter, but it's, it's not, it's not even about them shooting. It's about them being able to shoot um, and, and being able to, to attack the paint at will because the Lakers don't have anybody that can defend in space. And, Wagner can do that. I mean, I've, I've seen him play in South Bay a few times now, and he he 
it still looks rusty. I think the knee's back to 100%, but the conditioning isn't. But he offers more of what the Lakers need than anybody else on the roster. Michael Beasley got some playing time yesterday. And I was hoping maybe he could be that. But he was not. I mean, uh, he looked he looked better than, than he's looked in past games. But that's not a really high bar to set. And I think, you know, by the time December rolls around, uh, mid-December, this roster is going to look a little different. Or at least I hope it does. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. Everybody's, you know looking towards December 15th and you know it's going to be frustrating when stuff doesn't happen right away in terms of roster change and turnover mm-hmm. but um I think obviously the Lakers are going to have to make some calls and and see what they can do uh, my worry is you know teams aren't going to be in a rush to help the Lakers uh, yeah we, I mean we see how teams like the Timberwolves operate in their front office uh, and you know, I'd have to imagine they're not the only ones that operate like that. And teams, just for whatever reason, you know, whether you know Kobe Bryant hurt them, uh, they don't want to <laughs> do deals with the Lakers. And you know, I, you know, that's so like Lakers is exceptional list for me to say. Yeah. But like, I I don't know. It's just like, I think it's realistic. I, it's a, it's a little. There's a little truth to that. And yeah. you know, I think that. You know, I don't think it's unfair because, you know, people can do business however they want to. But uh, my official stance on it is that they're cowards for not wanting to do business (laughs) with the Lakers. And that's all I'm going to say about that, at least for this moment right now. Do you think there's any scenario where the Lakers just stand pat at the trade deadline where they just don't make a move? If they, like, reel off maybe like a 10-game win streak? Mm Mm-hmm. Then like maybe they pump the brakes on it, but as of right now, you know, sitting at you know what eleven and nine, I don't think that's gonna happen. So the biggest story that came out of the game was that Lonzo injured his his ankle in late in the second quarter, and uh, he was unable to finish the game. He played like two minutes in the third quarter, not ideal. Uh, and the Lakers, if he can't play. Which Luke Walton said at practice today that that his ankle was tender to the touch, which doesn't sound good. That I, I'm no medical expert, but that does not sound promising for a guy that needs to play back-to-back games uh, on Thursday and Friday. So, uh, if the Lakers are missing Lonzo Ball and they're also missing Rajon Rondo for the next few weeks, what the hell are they gonna do? Uh, that's my question. I. Points fee. I, I I'm in the same boat as you right now. I, yeah. you know, obviously Ingram isn't really working out a point guard right now. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter you know how you know they liked it last year, experimenting with it. I think yeah, that with just, this current team, no, that's not the best fit for him. You know, I handling agree. the ball at the top of the key, and mm-hmm. so you know, I guess you gotta go with LeBron as your primary playmaker, which you know in theory isn't a bad idea, but. You know, the reason that you brought all these playmakers on the team is so that so you didn't have to have the ball in his hands so much. And so now that the ball will be in his hands a lot with this Lonzo Ball injury, you know, we think he's probably not going to play on Thursday. Um, I don't know. Like, you surrounded him with playmakers, and so now that you have the ball in his hands, you know, what are the other guys expected to do? Uh mm-hmm. You have Josh Hart. He's hurt. Svee's unproven. He's not shooting. Mo Wagner's not in the games. 
And so, you know, Ingram's a reluctant three-point shooter. He's going to opt to take a, a contested two, and I hope mm-hmm. he figures that out real quick. But uh, it's it's not an ideal situation going forward. And obviously, you don't plan to get injured throughout the season, but uh, how you react to it, I think, uh, says a lot about the makeup of the team. And, um, now, well, I, I admire Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka for being bold and trying th- to do things different. Um, mm. Clearly, it's not going to work. Uh, you need to get some shooters on the roster, and you know, I'm gonna. This is probably gonna be a, a dead horse that I'm beating by the time I'm done <laughs> talking about it. But yeah. you know, I don't. I don't even get them not talking to Wayne Ellington this summer or guys oh. like Wayne Ellington. I. I. And the minute were... they signed Lance Stevenson, I. I, I tweeted. I said, really <sighs> would have preferred Wayne Ellington over Lance. And yeah. you know, oh, from a moral standpoint, from an on-court standpoint. Mm-hmm. He was he's one of the best shooters in the league right now at a very high volume. He shot 39% uh I think on 6 attempts per games last year. Uh and it it's it just baffles me that you know they they could try something new. They can try surrounding LeBron with these playmakers, but you still have to sign some shooters like you have to go with what works sometimes too. You can do both things and the Lakers only went with one and it's hurting them right now. And the the rationale behind the front office doing that was kind of baffling to me because I understand that they wanted versatile players, which in theory, Lance Stevenson is a versatile player. I mean, he can sh- theoretically shoot, rebound, and make plays. But if you had to choose between somebody like Lance Stevenson who does a lot of things at an average to below average level, or somebody like a Wayne Ellington that just has uh, one or two elite NBA skills like shooting, uh, I think you go with the latter every time. Obviously, the front office didn't agree because they signed Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo, and Michael Beasley. Um, but it, 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 the, I, got, I got a little heat earlier in the season because I wrote an article saying that even more than the depth that center the Lakers need, they need a backup point guard because the Lakers are more talented at the point guard position this year, without a doubt. I mean, Tyler Ennis and Marcelo Huertas are the farthest things from our minds right now. Uh, but the you know the the ta- the talent that's there doesn't make up for the depth. We have two point guards down now. And not one point guard other than Alex Caruso uh, who can step up to the plate. And that's a problem. Um, even with LeBron James and, or, or Brandon Ingram on the roster who can step up and be that primary playmaker. Even LeBron has said with, with the style they want to play, it's so important for them to have at least one point guard on the roster or on the floor at all times to push the pace. And I think they're really going to struggle um, if if Lonzo and Rondo aren't, or, you know, or, or if Lonzo can't go, because we know Rondo can't go. If Lonzo can't go, I think these next few games are going to be borderline unwatchable, or they'll just be absolute monster games by LeBron uh, that they that they still lose. I think. Yeah, that very well might be what we have to see. But uh, you know, when we we're recording this podcast, I I was watching. 
uh, the Champions League matchup between uh, Tottenham Hotspur and Inter Milan. And the <laughs> panel at halftime uh, on BR Football, I think I found the Lakers' backup point guard option. <laughs> it's Steve Nash. Steve Nash oh, is yeah. on on the panel Lakers, talking soccer. Lakers legend Steve Nash. For, Lakers, Warriors, Suns, Mavericks. <laughs> I, I, it's it. Steve Nash should be in the gym right now, preparing his body so he can get some run for at point guard. No, but the Lakers really need to find out, you know, what they're gonna do with at the point guard position. I think that we talked about it a lot in this show, and I'll leave it at, you know, throw Alex Caruso out there. You know, he's not terrible offensively from a playmaking standpoint. Defensively, mm. there's a lot to be desired, but you know, it's better than you know having Lance Stevenson handle the ball. It's better than uh, just having a mixed bag of playmakers you got to have someone that's at least going to run up and down the floor and uh, run the offense other than LeBron so I think Alex Caruso is the immediate option to fill in for both Lonzo Ball and Rajon Rondo while they're dealing with their respective injuries what is what does the starting lineup even look like with with Lonzo and Rondo out because the thing that scares me is the Lakers could barely survive and I, I say barely survive because without Rajon Rondo, they haven't looked like the best team in the NBA. I mean, they've, they've struggled mightily without a point guard in that second unit. And if they can't even muster up a point guard in that second unit to, to, run, to run that unit, what are they going to do with the first unit? And how does that further hamper the second unit's ability to do anything? Um... <sighs> I don't. I don't even know. Like it, it's going to be just a, a a fluid unit between the first and second uh, unit. And see, with with any, I I don't want to say with any other coach in the NBA, I'd feel comfortable with that. But there are definitely more coaches in the NBA. I'd feel com- more comfortable with a fluid rotation or unit. But Luke Walton's rotations are not that for me, and uh, some of it has to do with the way he's managed the roster. And uh, but most of it has to do with the way the roster was constructed in the summer, and ugh, that that just doesn't sound like a good idea to me. No, no, not at all. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, going back to his first year with the Lakers, and uh, like we were, we were very lenient with Luke. I think uh, like his rotations in his first year left a lot to be desired, and we said, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be something that he has to work on, and you know. Fast forwarding to this year, you know it, it still remains an issue. But to to be fair and, and to play devil's advocate, you know this front office hasn't made it easy for Luke Walton to adjust with the with the changing rosters every year. And you know I think uh, I think there's a there's a point where you know they have to you know sit down again and and talk about the the future of this team and the outlook and what the roster is going to look like come February. Because, you know, Luke Walton, I think, starts to have to plan ahead for the future, knowing that this roster is going to change because that's what has happened every year that he's been the Lakers head coach. I think that so there was an there was an article at ESPN uh, that came out today written by Brian Windhorst that reported from an anonymous scout that he's noticed that LeBron James is ignoring play calls from Luke Walton while he's on the floor. He's kind of just waving him off whenever Luke calls a play. Do you think that has anything to do with LeBron's lack of faith in Luke as a coach? 
Or do you think that's just LeBron being LeBron? I think it's LeBron being LeBron. And I think if, you know, any... I, I think there's the the Luke Walton LeBron James relationship, and that's put under a microscope. But I mm. think you know, so people are looking out for things like that. But I think if you look, or if any anonymous scout looks at a superstar and their coach, you know, I think they're gonna find that that's a common thing. I, I saw, and forgive me because I'm forgetting who I saw it from on Twitter, but you know, a, a Portland tra- <laughs> Trailblazers fan saying no, Damian Lillard does that all the time. And so yeah. I, I, I don't think that's an uncommon thing that happens in the NBA. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm not an anonymous scout. I'm Grant Goldberg, Twitter user. <laughs> and I, uh, I just think that maybe it's a little bit overblown at this point. Like, they're still figuring things out. They're going to, you know, find out the best way to work together. It's, it's something that's going to develop over the season. I don't think that we should be worrying about, you know, LeBron James calling plays. If it was, you know... Lance Stevenson blowing off <laughs> Luke Walton trying to call plays, then yeah. you know we can line up with our pitchforks and uh, and our torches. But I, I don't think this is a huge issue that everyone's making it out to be. I actually, and it's it's pro- it's probably not a good thing, but I I feel more comfortable with LeBron running the show than I do Luke at this point right now, at least offensively, because the the most impressive thing to me offensively with Luke, and I think the biggest jump he made last season as a coach was his ability to get a group of uh, teenagers and and dudes in their early 20s to buy into being a really good defensive team. Not just a serviceable defensive team, but at times during last season, an elite defensive team. And uh, I think we've seen the beginnings of that this season. I mean, like we said, personnel, there's there's a ceiling with this team because of their individual ability as defenders. Last season, he got kind of uh, more of a mixed bag. Nobody could have predicted how how good Lonzo Ball was going to be on the defensive end. Uh, but this year, offensively, I, I think he's been he's been worse as a as a coach offensively. And uh, for that reason, I I just I don't have a problem if 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 James if LeBron does have uh, an issue with Walton's offensive sets and is like, I, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, it's been working for me so far this season. Uh, you don't have an offensive system in place, so I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, and, you know, I'm still a Luke Walton fan. Like, I love him as a player's coach. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think the time has come, for me at least, I, and I can't speak for all Lakers fans because I know there's a lot of mixed feelings but uh, I think the time has come for us to take off the not Byron Scott glasses when it comes <laughs> to the Lakers head coach. And, you know, yeah. while I love Luke Walton and, you know, I think he's a great players coach, like I just said, you know, maybe you know there could be a better option as a head coach for the Lakers you know, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, rotations and, and, and mixing that, you know, player relation, player coach relationship and still putting out a great product on on the floor, but uh, you know, and and credit to Luke Walton because I I talked about it I think on the last show that you know he had a bunch of players on a one year deal uh, last year and he got them to buy in defensively and I think they were probably the, the better players better fits for his defensive scheme. I mean, when you have Julius Randle, he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife for yeah. defensive scheme, you know, in the way that he can switch and, and navigate the floor. 
And, you know, we talked about it, I think, a couple shows ago, but, man, would he solve so many of the Lakers' problems right now? Yeah. Defensively, at least. Um, I, I I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, and I, and I don't want to bring it up again because I know that yeah. it can get stale. But, uh, <laughs> like, having a guy like that just could just could fix so many things. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, the issue starts at... Well, the coaching issue starts at, you know, having the right guys on the floor at the right time and, and combating other teams' different lineups um, and, and, yeah, just trying to figure out what your roster can bring in, in terms of, you know, in terms of depth. Um, you know, we talk about the center rotation. We talk about how Mo Wagner could be, you know, help to that. We talk about how, you know, the Lakers need shooters and, and Svi Mikhailuk can, you know, help that out. But uh, those guys aren't getting significant run, and therefore, you know, we still have those issues on the roster, and we still see those issues game to game. And so, you know, it's Luke Walton's job to, you know, see, okay, these guys can potentially fix some of the things that are wrong with the team, but uh, for some reason they're not just playing right now. And so, you know, as long as they don't play, you know, we still have a large issue on our hands uh, that we'll need outside help for. But the thing with Luke is... I think, personally, I think he's everything you want in a head coach from an uh, off-the-court standpoint and to some extent an on-the-court standpoint because you you want a player's coach and you want somebody that uh, after post-game, you know, in post-game interviews doesn't say things like, you know, he was playing soft and their effort was lackadaisical or, you know, things like that. I don't know why I use that word specifically, uh, but uh, it he's what he's what you want in a head coach. I think the big the bigger issue with him because you can put all the blame with Luke, uh, on Luke, and some of that's justified, but I think the the bigger issue here is his coaching staff, um, even more so than him. And uh, we, I, I think I, I forgot who I saw it from. I, it might have been Domin. Uh, Rangula, who contributes to Silver Screen and Roll from time to time, that tweeted the the assistance the Lakers used to have, and it was you know some of the some of the brightest head coaches in the NBA right now, uh, whether it's like Ettore Messina or uh, Quinn Snyder, you know, all on Brian Shaw's coaching staff, and you know, in hindsight, it, it's a great thing because when Brian Shaw was head coach everybody just wanted him out. They didn't care who was on his coaching staff. They just wanted that dude out. But the you know, you can't look at anybody on the Lakers coaching staff right now and say with confidence that's a guy that could be a head coach in the NBA one day. And I think that's a problem. Not not because um you know, all everybody on every coaching staff should be, you know, a future NBA stud. But I don't think there's a confidence from the fan base that care about that coaching staff that they're capable uh, of of doing their job, and I think that's a bigger problem than than just you know Luke's uh, job as a as a head coach. Yeah, and you know the one guy that they had on their coaching staff, uh, Judd Vulture, is uh, he got poached from the Knicks, yeah, by the Knicks, and. Uh, and so you, know, you want to have guys on your roster that other teams want to have uh, mm-hmm. coaching their team. And so you know, I think that you know, 
Luke Walton can't just go to the University of Arizona and and look at their Wikipedia page and see who <laughs> you know has ties to them, and then bring them onto the staff. No, you need to diversify the staff. And uh, yeah, like you said, not everybody's going to be a future NBA head coach, but guys can bring valuable insight and uh, information, coaching skills. And uh, now everybody coaches a different way. So I think, you know, yeah, I think the biggest thing is for me is just Luke Walton looking other than Arizona Wildcats and, and diversifying his staff. Yeah, because our associate head coach right now is is Brian Shaw, which, you know... I, I like me some B Shaw, but as, I, I, as I felt better. I, I felt better about him before. I mean, uh, in the first tenure he had with the Lakers. Yeah, as a second in command, I don't know, man. That's that's just that doesn't seem right to me. I I feel like, with no disrespect to Brian Shaw, I feel, there has to be better candidates than than Brian Shaw in the market. Anyway, uh, we got we got an exciting stretch of games coming up. Uh, this next week, you couldn't have so sounded getting... more excited about. That. <laughs> I I just don't know what to expect, man. Yeah. Like, is Lonzo gonna play? Is he not? I get. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. But uh, that that homestand, uh, they they got a stretch of home games coming up that starts with tomorrow in Indiana uh, against Victor Oladipo and the Pacers. Um, then we got the Mavericks the following day again at home. Uh, and then we see Phoenix on Sunday, which, if all goes well, uh, Phoenix actually just waved somebody today. Um, Isaiah Canon or uh, Cannon, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, he's gone. So real, uh, real game changer there. And then on Wednesday they uh, close their homestand with the Spurs. So we got Indiana, Dallas, Phoenix, San Antonio, Grant. What are you thinking? How's the week looking? I mean, I'm gonna say one and three, but zero oh and four is conceivable. <laughs> oh no, that's not good. It depends on Lonzo's health. It depends on you know, who's playing point guard. But uh, the Pacers are a really good team. The Mavericks are playing a hell of a lot better. Um, yeah. Suns, I think that's the lone win. And then the Spurs, I think you know, if, still if Lonzo Ball is hurt, then uh, they're gonna. They're gonna struggle to beat the Spurs. I mean, they struggled to beat the Spurs twice healthy, although mm. both games were really close. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, this is the the lowest we've been. Well, I've been with the predictions, but I I think you'll probably say something similar when it comes to this next stretch of four games. Yeah, and and I think a lot of it has to do with just the confidence in the team. Because I mean, I feel like over the last two weeks we've we've gone the the two and one route because. It it the Lakers felt like a team that could win on any given night, and that might just have been a product of the opponents they were playing, or you know just LeBron James playing out of his mind and them scraping away with wins. But yeah, my confidence isn't too high right now. Um, I know there's a chance Victor Oladipo doesn't play tomorrow, uh, but I I mean we, we the Lakers have played games where their another star player isn't playing and they still get blown out, so. Uh, I think Indiana's a good enough team to where, you know, even without Victor Oladipo at their best, they're better than whatever the Lakers are going to put out on the floor right now. Uh, so I think they lose the game in Indiana. I feel dirty for how much I like the Dallas Mavericks. Like, I was thinking about it the other day, and I would love nothing more than to see Luka Doncic and 
uh, Dirk Nowitzki in the NBA playoffs this year, especially if it's Dirk's last season. I I like them a lot. Shame I think on they're, you. I know. I uh, I feel gross, but it's like it's a guilt I like. It's a guilty pleasure, especially Luca. Man, Luca's Luca's one of my NBA sons. I love him so much, and I want him to succeed. So, um, but I think the Lakers win that game on star power alone. Uh, we we saw how Brandon Ingram locked up Luca in that last game, and I could, I fully expect that trend to continue. And the Lakers have a LeBron James, so uh, I have them winning that game. I have them beating the Suns because the Suns suck, to put it kindly. Uh, they, I mean, unless the the Isaiah Canaan uh, wave was part of a bigger move of them, like getting John Wall. But even then, I, I'd still have the Lakers coming out on top in that matchup. So, um, and then San Antonio on Wednesday, I'm less confident about because the Spurs are a well-oiled machine. Uh, if both of their stars are healthy, they're you know they're gonna put together another close game, and if by that time Lonzo still isn't healthy, your guess is as good as mine. So my guess is they go two and two, uh, which isn't uh, you know a bad record for a four game homestand, but it's definitely not where they should be. Uh, until we see you next time, thanks for listening. If you like our show, head on over to iTunes. Look up the Silver Screen and Roll podcast network. All you have to do is type in Silver Screen and Roll. Leave us a nice little review. And uh, if you don't like our show, why are you listening? If, if you made it this far and you decided you don't like it, just leave. Go. Go away. Um, but thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.